to Scrolling Over Tones, the brand new podcast from the Bristol Ensemble. I'm Simon Codderand, and this week I'm talking with Roger Huckle, chief executive and founder of the Ensemble, who for over 25 years has been the driving force behind the group. We caught up for a post-concert chat on a frosty afternoon in Nailsworth, and we spoke about the early days of the Ensemble and why music education is such an important part of the group's work. So, Roger, you've been at the head of the Bristol Ensemble for over a quarter of a century. Oh, that makes me feel a bit old, doesn't it? Why, why did you start the group, and what were you hoping to create in those early days? Yeah, well, actually, the, the main reason for creating and, and coming up with the concept of the Bristol Ensemble was um, having kids... And, and needing to be home more often than not being home. As you do. As you do, you know, working musician, travelling away, maybe away on tour and things. So if you get kids, then family life, and if you're going to try and do that in any sense, sort of, you know, depth or responsibility, then, then you really do need to be on, on site, really, and you can't just disappear for a month here and all two weeks there. So, so the idea was really to, to create work around... The family around the, the the living situation, which was Bristol, uh, and rather than having to disappear and travel the length, length of the country for one night and then back again and all that, stuff, try and create a, a, a much more uh, family-friendly and I suppose environmentally friendly situation yeah. where you don't have to spend too much time travelling. Well, well, the typical kind of freelance musician's life is just touring, isn't it? It's on the road. You're going, you're either getting on a train or a plane or a car and yeah. you're going away for a few days at yeah. a time. I mean, I think we've all been there, especially, you know, when you stra- straight out of college and you've got to say yes to everything and you're, you know, spending, I don't know, you, you're doing at least 20,000 miles in a car every year. And then, plus, if you're travelling abroad as well, you know, on top of that. So, uh, and I, I actually had the experience when I was first out of college of working in the Bergen Philharmonic Orchestra in, in Norway. And that sort of formed a little bit of my thinking as well, because basically at that point, and for many, many years, they never really toured. That was an orchestra, full symphony orchestra, that essentially spent all their time in Bergen. Yeah. And they went now and again, travelled out to the sticks and did a little concert and stuff. But um, And then I thought, well, actually, that's kind of... That is actually, you know, a really interesting concept that you don't actually have to be travelling around all the time. So were you, in a, in a maybe in a subconscious way or a very deliberate way, trying to emulate those sort of working conditions at home in Bristol? Yeah, I think that was suddenly what, where I arrived at. You know, suddenly thinking, well, how do you do this? And what is the model? Who does this? Because I think very much, much part of a freelance career is sort of not pretending to be busy, but being very busy. And people need to be seen to be being very busy and travelling. And I've just been there. I've just done that. I've just da 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 Whereas the, the complete opposite to that is having a job in an orchestra like Bergen Philharmonic, not so much these days, they do travel a bit more, but um, in those days, you know, it was really just there 
sitting orchestra and it very rarely went out. We did some tours, but not for very long. And, you know, it was based... Very much all the, the working thing was based around family life as well. Yeah. You know, it was... Uh, A much better work balance, sort of life balance compared to the, the, the typical kind of music musician's life in the UK. Light years away from, mm. from what is expected in the UK as equivalent sort of job. I mean, you know, you were rehearsing 10 to 2, 10 to 2, 10 to 2. And then you did your concert on a Thursday and maybe repeated on a Friday and the weekend's free. So it was, a, you know, a light, light years away from the, the requirements of being a member of a full-time orchestra in this, in this country. Yeah, no, it sounds eminently sensible. Yeah. Um, how would you say the ensemble has developed over the years and firstly has it developed as you'd expected it to and did you ever expect it would last this long when you started it up yeah that's a really interesting question I, I started it without too many preconceptions to be quite honest I mean it was really the the getting together of, of good friends that were also very good musicians um, and we just started it in a very very casual way uh, and it ha just happened the first two or three concerts four concerts were in Bristol and were really well attended and it gave us a little bit of pot of money and think okay actually we can carry on with this and then we had a little connection with Stroud and there was again really great following there uh, and that's um, that helped us and so we, we, we suddenly found ourselves in a situation of going well actually we've got something that can go forward I mean, it wasn't very much. I think we made about a thousand pounds, but I mean, going back to eighty, no, ninety-four, and that that was not very much money even then to start thinking about running an orchestra or, yeah. or an ensemble. But it gave us something, and mm. uh, and we just kept on developing from there. And people kept on asking us to come and play, uh, and play little festivals and little, you know, all small scales things, but then uh, after a while it got a momentum of its own and then um, you know people, we've never gone out to go and, and you know, sort of try and get concerts interesting enough it, so it's always been people word of mouth I guess people coming to us um, so um, things have just happened I mean were yeah. you the BBC of course used to have an orchestra in Bristol yeah. know, years ago yeah. uh, the BBC training orchestra that's right um, and that that came to an end. Were you were you trying to sort of maybe replace that, or, or, or I mean, it's obviously a very different different type of orchestra that you were creating. Yeah, I think what what I when I moved back to Bristol in in uh, 90, two, uh, 1990, 1990, and uh, I suppose one of the things I recognised or saw there was that there wasn't a professional circuit. It was, it was am a huge amateur uh, scene, which is brilliant. And there still is, of course. There still is, Massive yeah. number of amateur orchestras here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and also a certain amount of, uh, of semi-professional things going on, so a mixture of the amateur and semi-professional player, professional players. And that, I just looked, I thought, that's, that's just really frustrating, actually. You know, you can't really, if you've got some... Uh, aims or, or aspirations to be a professional ensemble you can't really engage too closely with that mm. although you know incredibly valuable as it is for the Bristol music community to have that and so that was a, that was another reason to start the Bristol ensemble as well to try and try and actually create a professional 
circuit within Bristol. Yeah, fantastic. Um, 25, 26 years. What have been the most memorable concerts or <laughs> projects you've had? And, and these don't necessarily have to be for musical reasons. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. That, uh, well, we've done some very, very interesting things. We've worked with some very interesting people. We worked the opening of the what is now the Bristol Beacon foyer when that, that, that was uh, completed and that reopened. And we worked with uh, circus acts and there was trapezes, there were sort of people yeah, flying through the air and we were playing music at the same time. And then we worked on this with... Um, uh, yeah, some other really sort of amazing people in that little festival. Um, we've done... it's, it's been very varied, hasn't it? I mean, the work the ensemble does, it's not just putting on Ina Kleiner every week in no, a nice little church no. hall. I mean, you've done, you, you've worked for opera, you've worked, for, we've done obviously all the standard chamber music and chamber repertoire. Yeah. I remember we did a Beethoven symphony cycle, didn't we, a few years yes. back, and yeah. all piano concertos. But then, as you say, you know, we've done and tango programs, you've done um, concerts, as you say, with the, the, the artist, um, yeah. artists, the acrobats and the yeah. trapeze artists exactly. and all that sort of thing. Yeah. So it's been very varied. We've always been really interested in, in this sort of the wider world that is just not just classical music. So mm. we've been very eclectic. Um, yeah. Our work is very, very much um, open to working with all sorts of different artists and different types of music genres and so that, that's also been, uh, I think, a plus side for us, which means that lots of different groups can engage with us. Yeah, because uh, obviously yeah. part of the drive now is, is to be very collaborative, isn't it, with yeah. all the other arts groups in and around yeah. Bristol. And so the ensemble is in, in a good place for that. Yeah. Because it's a, it's a really rich cultural city, isn't it? It is very, it's quite a, one of those sort of alternative cities mm. in a way. I think people see it a lot of, you know, lots of different things going on, lots of... Um, areas that you wouldn't expect necessarily to be happening, but it's all going on in Bristol. And I think, I think, just think that sort of, um, we were, I think we were almost a bit ahead of our time, dare I say it, because we were doing all this collaborative stuff in the 90s, um, early 2000, and doing all sorts of really interesting stuff. And it was almost as if the audience weren't ready for that, or the art scene weren't ready for that. I remember... Uh, you, you know, we were putting on a concert and it had some jazzers in it, and it had this and it had that, and there was some tango in it and some dancers. And somebody rung up St. George and said, Well, what is this concert? And, you know, and I think they just didn't know how to describe it. And they just, Well, it's a bit of a kind of dog's dinner of a, of a programme. But it was a really, <laughs> it was a really immersive yeah. uh, programme, and it was real crossover. But I think we were we were so ambitious at that that time, you know. This is going back sort of twenty years, and and people just didn't quite know. But you were capitalising on on the the sort of talent in the city that was available to you, yeah, and and really making the most of that, and thereby sort of also tapping into other audiences that perhaps wouldn't necessarily just come to listen to a yeah. line of Kleiner on a Saturday night. Yeah, yeah. But it was interesting, you know, the arts, the kind of the art, if you like, the arts admin people, whatever, mm. uh, or the, the, the great the arts council people, they didn't know, they didn't understand what we were trying to do, really. Yeah. 
and they didn't understand the concept. And, but now, of course, it's... Ironically, all... you have to do this now in order to get anywhere, or to get any money from anybody. Yes, yeah. I, I, uh, uh, that, that's kind of been really interesting, to see the change in culture. Now, suddenly, it's really trendy, you know, yeah. and you have to do it. Where those days, it was like people were going, mm, really? <laughs> now, the Bristol Ensemble has, has managed to get through the past couple of years of COVID relatively unscathed compared to some some organizations now obviously it's it's in part due to a sort of very slim line operations of the group you know there are no premises to 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 keep paying for there's no staff costs there's no salaries and all that um and of course we did do quite a lot of online concerts yeah um i think about 50 or so didn't we a huge amount looking back on it now i think my god what was actually a lot going on so lots of online concerts and and digital content to keep keep our audiences and our players yeah. active and happy. Yeah. Now, is this resilience just down to the fact that the ensemble didn't have to spend much money? It didn't have much in the way of outgoings, or do you think it's down to the 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 sort of the initiative of the players and and the the resilience and the determination of the players themselves? Well, yeah. I mean, we were during the for a whole. I don't know how long it went on, but it felt like a really long time. We were doing a concert every three days, mm. online concert, and players were getting in touch and volunteering, and sort of, and they were, we were paying them yeah. through, uh, and we were recouping that through donations mm-hmm. from you know. So actually, most of the time, we we covered our costs and everything. You know, I mean, we weren't doing high professional productions or anything like that, but it, there was something very very, I think a lot of people found it very moving that people were, were basically you know, recording from their home and staying in contact with, with a whole audience out there. And I know a lot of people um, had lots of you know, uh, comments or emails and texts saying, you know, this has really saved us. You know. Well, it saved the audiences, but it saved the players, obviously mm. not just from a, the point of view that it was you know, bringing a bit of cash in yeah. to a time when nothing else was happening. But I think psychologically, it was good to feel that you were still a musician. You know, you were still able to work and still had a connection with your audience, albeit it yeah. was through a webcam or you know. Yeah, and, and and it was it was a way of keeping in touch with each other musically as well. Yeah. So I mean, I, I know you know quite a few of the musicians would would watch them as well, mm. the, the the things, and and it was a way of of making people feel like the that they hadn't been forgotten, that they weren't having to go through this by themselves. That there was, you know, and there was a bit of. I mean, we weren't offering huge amounts of work to anybody by any means, but it was a way of keeping alive yourself as a musician and having some uh, something to work towards and uh, and some sort of integrity about it as well. So I think for a lot of people, it was it was actually pretty important and kept them engaged. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it it wasn't just the ensemble saying to the musicians, right, we want you to do this, we want to, we're going to do this. It was very much a collaborative thing, wasn't it? I mean, all the musicians yeah. were getting... I remember we had sort of regular Zoom meetings and, and, and everybody would come up with ideas and ping across emails and suggestions. Oh, let's do yeah. this as a concert or we'll, we'll record this up a tree or something or we'll do, yeah. know, we'll do this in our garden. Or we'll, it, it was a very much... Um, everybody was pulling their own weight and really putting their ideas forward. They it? were, and it was a very creative collaboration with 
with everybody and we, you know, we came up with a few videos and particularly the, the sort of I will survive <laughs> video, which again, you know, as we we've just doing, finished a concert here in Nailsworth and I think it was a couple of months ago we did a concert here and somebody came up to me after that concert and said, that I will survive video was amazing. Every time I felt a bit down, I put it on and it just saved me. And, and, and things like that, you suddenly realise actually you are, although you don't know it directly, you are having an impact and helping people through what was very traumatic. But they've, they've had a lot of views, haven't they, all these yeah. videos? I mean, yeah. our YouTube channel has never seen so much attention <laughs> um, since all of, that, all of these videos went up. And yeah, yeah it, it's a very important thing. As you know, as you say, for the audience and the players and the group as a whole over mm. the last year, because it was, a, I mean, it's a difficult, and we're we're kind of coming out of it the other end now. But it's still, it's not entirely a bed of roses just yet, is it? I mean, no. there's still there's still work to do. I mean, I do. think I think disappointingly, you know, I suppose we probably all thought thought last September was we were out of it, and then suddenly we were back into it, and now we think we're coming out of it. And I I, I think we probably are this time, but you know, you you're still left with a sort of a slight suspicion about are we really out of this you know can we really go forward and and the, the, there's still this whole element of things getting you know concerts getting cancelled for this reason or that reason and or, or and and people getting ill and suddenly having to get last minute replacements in and all this sort of stuff and so it, we're still operating in in quite um uh quite difficult circumstances actually yeah. to, be, to be honest it's not it's not back to normal, you're putting on concerts you know, usually you would have been having a run of six months you decided to have a concert, all the details would have been sorted out six months before, you've got all your marketing to go there, da 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 this, and and you know of, people are going to be buying tickets. And you know that. And now it's sort of like four weeks before you, oh yeah, okay, we'll, we'll go ahead, and then nobody's buying tickets until like three days before. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> it's impossible to plan, isn't it? It's, it's very difficult to plan. Yeah. Um, with that in mind, um, and, and putting your, your optimistic cap back on, how do you see the ensemble developing over the next 25 years? Um, is, there, is there somewhere you'd like to see it go? I don't mean, you know, Peru or something, but is there, is there, is there a direction you'd like to see it going in, or, or are you happy just for it to carry on doing what it's doing, going from strength to strength and being more collaborative and just being being more of the, the, the sort of Bristol-based um, organisation yeah. that it's turned into. Yeah. I, I, I feel that we are trying now, um, with the likes of yourself coming on board and helping and, and coming in, and we've got a new chairman, uh, Charlie Ward, as well, we are um, at a really important point in the development of the organisation, and I think we are at a point where it's... Uh, potentially going to really develop in a big way now and go forward and, and become even... I mean, we are doing quite a lot of uh, community work and everything in schools and everything, but I think we are going to actually become much more uh, involved in the community and much more collaborative, even more, more than we are doing at the moment. And I, and I hope we actually become a name in the city that more people know that don't know, because at the moment it's probably like, you know, 1% of the population, if we're lucky, know yeah. heard about the Bristol, Bristol Ensemble. Mm. But if we could get it to 20%, that would be really nice that actually we've got some 
some sort of knowledge that, oh yeah, we do have a professional orchestra and this is what they do and they do all that, they do all these sorts of different things and they're really involved in the community and they really care about the community. Uh, so that's where <clears throat> I'd like to like the, the ensemble to get to, which is, is a, it sounds, you know, 20%, that's not very much, but actually that's a... That's a lot more people, isn't it? Well, if, if, if COVID and the, the whole sort of lockdowns that we've had over the past few years has taught us anything, it's, mm. it's really shown that actually music has got such an important and powerful role in yeah. a community. And, you know, as you were saying about those videos, you know, people come up to you and say, oh, we saw that and it really cheered mm. me up. Yeah. Actually, what, what we do, what any orchestra, what any arts organisation can do to the general morale of a, of a city or a place is, is really incredibly important. Yeah. And, and all the education work and just doing concerts and, and as, as we have here in Nailsworth, you mm. know, becoming part of the audience, the audience get to really get immersed in what the musicians do. And it takes them to a different place. And, and with everything else going on in the world at the moment, mm. a little bit of cultural escapism is no, is yeah. no bad thing. <clears throat> and I, and I, I do think, I mean, I'm not saying music is, you know, a game changer to everybody's lives. But I've, I've still got memories of kid, as a kid of going to various concerts in, in uh, what used to be the Colston Hall at that point. I can still vividly remember certain performances and certain soloists or certain conductors or, or leader of the orchestra or this or that. And, and I can also actually remember really being excited about, about music and, and how, how it had an impact on me. Well, just think, you know, those concerts as a child, you went to these concerts and they had the impact on you. And now look yeah. what you've done yeah. for the city of Bristol. You've created a whole organisation of your own, which will hopefully go and give this sort of impact to other children around the city and other people yeah. that may, may suddenly think, you know what, what a great idea this yeah. is. I'm going to go and do something. So. And, I, and I think that whole thing also about, you know, I mean, OK, classical music is is a relatively a niche market, let's be you know, compared with the whole spectrum of music there is out there. I think it's like, has about 1% of the market. <laughs> so it is niche, but, but it's, it's, incredible, it's incredible music. And um, it, it, I, I remember we were doing, rehearsing um, Rachmaninoff's second piano concerto with uh, Andre Gavrilov at, at uh, <clears throat> Bristol Beacon. And we, one of the schools we've been working with, we got the, the whole class, two classes, to come along to the rehearsal. And they were absolutely enthralled by it and gobsmacked. And they just, you know, the whole thing of seeing all these musicians playing together and the piano and the music. And they, you know, when you thought, well, these kids have got an attention span of 15 minutes, they sat there for like 40 minutes absolutely still and just staring at the stage as if they, you know something they had not experienced but it is that it is that powerful once you can get people in front of it and there and they there's something about the physical nature i know you know physical nature of music and you've seen them but also the physical impact it has on your body and your mind uh, that is difficult to really describe but it is a sensation it is, and, and it's, I mean, it's, it's an extraordinary sensation that, frankly, every child should be exposed to, yeah. um, to as much as possible, yeah. certainly from a young age. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and again, you sort of, you do get, 
<clears throat> um, the powers that be that sort of say, well, you know, kids aren't going to like classical music. Da, 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 da. You know, can't possibly. But it's not the music itself, is it necessarily? It's no. the experience and it's the places it takes them to yeah. while they're sitting there listening to yeah, it. Yeah. And then, of course, you've got the involvement if they do partake and participate yeah. and start learning instruments. And you've got the yeah. whole team building and... Uh, I mean, there's, there's countless stuff. I mean, we, you could talk for hours on all the studies of the benefits of, of participating yeah. in music making as, yeah. a, as a child or as an adult, for that matter. Mm. But, um, well, Roger, fantastic to talk. And um, yeah. here's to the next 25 years. Absolutely. Well, you'll be at the helm, hopefully, <laughs> for the next 25, <laughs> taking it to places that it's not been before. <laughs> yeah.